Yeah, I, I think that's a common misconception, even with healthcare providers. They don't believe that anyone with lungs can get lung cancer. Even our screening criteria for lung cancer doesn't include anyone with lungs. You know, you have to have, you know, a prior history of smoking a lot of cigarettes to be able to even get screened for lung cancer. So, yes, I was 38 years old and I had to convince doctors. In fact, I couldn't even get a doctor to give me a chest x ray because I had just run a half marathon and I was the picture of health. I had absolutely no risk factors. So I actually had to self-pay for a chest x-ray to prove that something was wrong with me. It's not treatable, one doctor said. It's inoperable, said another. It's too dangerous to perform surgery, said the third specialist. Bonnie Adaro was diagnosed with stage 3B lung cancer at the age 55 when she was at the top of her game and leading one of the largest privately held oil companies in the United States. In her corporate arena and as the first woman to be elected to the California Independent Oil Marketers Association, she was the one always in control. She was the one fighting for change and challenging the norm. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Today, we'll talk to Bonnie Adaro about her journey with lung cancer and her new book, The Living Room, A Lung Cancer Community of Courage by Bonnie J. Adaro with John Land. And we also want to welcome to the studio my good friend, Gina Hollenbeck. No stranger to this show. Gina, Bonnie, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks, Byron. Thank you. Gina, it's so good to see you. We thought we knew when we first met each other. When you walked in the office today, you said, hey, I think we go back even further. And we connected with a mutual friend, Tom Mann, who worked at this radio station prior to the Bot family buying this station 35 years ago. So we're really dating ourselves, aren't we? I know. How do we get old? You don't look like you're a day over 22, okay? <laughs> she doesn't. She's beautiful. She so is, Bonnie. And Bonnie, we want to welcome you. I, I think you're somewhere in California. Are you in the San Francisco area? Yes, we are. The Bay Area. Absolutely. The Bot family sent me out to California back in the late 80s to set up a station in Modesto. I'd never been before to California. And I remember uh, flying into LAX and getting a car and driving on the 101 yeah. across the Bay Area. And I rolled my windows down. That sea air, the coolness, oh, it was so beautiful that day. <laughs> exactly. It could be, you know, 99 degrees in Modesto and it'll be 56 degrees in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ladies, according to the Mayo Clinic, lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer deaths worldwide. People who smoke have the greatest risk of lung cancer, though lung cancer can also occur in people who have never smoked. The risk of lung cancer increases with the length of time and number of cigarettes you've smoked. And if you quit smoking, even after smoking for many years, you can significantly reduce your chances of developing lung cancer. There's two general types of lung cancer that include small cell lung cancer. That occurs almost exclusively in heavy smokers and is less common than non-small cell lung cancer. Now, the non small cell lung cancer is like an umbrella term for several types of lung cancers. I know you ladies know a whole lot more about this than I do, but I just wanted to do a little research and understanding as we kind of lay out our show today with our listeners so they can understand maybe a little more what we're talking about. But Bonnie, you're now a lung cancer survivor for about 17 years now. Take us, if you would, into your world prior to being diagnosed. Okay, well, you know, you said it all. 
uh, with, without the fact that I was a single mom of three children for, you know, quite some time when I was doing all of those jobs and things. And I started out as a Kelly girl doing, um, doing work, uh, you know, for um, people just looking for temporary help and clean banks at night with my children to actually make enough money to feed them. So I've had a lot of practice at working hard. And when I'm hit with a um, problem, I don't stop until I fix it. I don't plan on stopping working on lung cancer and the injustice in lung cancer until it is fixed. By working with people like Gina and others, we're all pulling together to make amazing things happen. Gina, you first came on to this show about five years ago now. I was just looking at my calendar, and I can't believe it's been five years ago that we sat down, and you told your story of having stage 4 lung cancer. You've never smoked before in your life. What's been the journey like since we last got together? Yeah, I'm a nurse who got lung cancer, and I was shocked in 2015 when I was diagnosed because in in nursing school we learned that smokers got lung cancer and I did everything right. So I was so surprised um, with the diagnosis but I knew something was wrong. Since uh, I guess five years ago it's been so exciting to see the uh, research really contribute to coming up with new therapeutics, new drugs for lung cancer. And I've had an incredible journey. Though I've had side effects from the targeted therapies and things like that, I've actually now come to a place where I've had brain surgery, I've had lung surgery, removal of my upper left lobe of my lung, I've had radiation to my brain, I've had daily targeted therapy for five years, and I've actually exhausted all the targeted therapies. Therapies. So we're not sure what's next yet. So two weeks ago, I started um, just regular chemotherapy, IV chemotherapy. You know, for me, this book that Bonnie created, The Living Room, is one of those things that just brings you hope and, and brings me hope because when I read the stories, these inspirational stories where it looked like there was no hope, like in the darkest days, something happened. And that's where I am. I I know that, you know, God has a plan for me. And I think that when I was first diagnosed through all of this, that there were two things that I, I noticed. Every time that I thought there wasn't another plan, a new drug was created. Something else came up, and I was riding this wave of research. And, you know, and I feel like that was just God taking care of me. And, um, I learned two things that one, God loves me more than I'll ever know, even more than I love myself. And and the other thing was that even though sometimes I hate his plan, <laughs> his plan is perfect for me. So um, this book is, is one of those things though that, that reminds me that there is hope when it seems like there is no hope. Wow. Well, Bonnie, it was uh, through your personal experience with lung cancer that you helped to create GoTo Foundation for Lung Cancer. It's the largest lung cancer organization in the United States. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, you know, I really would like to jump in, though, and tell just a little story that'll help you to understand and the listeners to understand that we need to get off of this. The only people that get lung cancer are smokers, because that's really what's keeping us from being able to raise the funding for research that we need to cure lung cancer. And I had a a lady once at the very, very beginning, and this struck me so hard. She was absolutely adorable, and she had stage 4 lung cancer, but she told people that she had breast cancer. 
because she didn't want people to think that she smoked because she had never smoked a day in her life. And she said, Bonnie, I never smoked ever, but smoking is still killing me because that's all anybody wants to talk to. And people believe that if you smoke, you deserve to get cancer. So therefore, we don't need to help you. It's not true. 31 other cancers are triggered by smoking. And I don't ever want to sound like we're promoting smoking because we're not. I think everybody agrees that smoking is really not a good thing. Mm -hmm. But we have to start mentioning that, but not making it the priority of everything we do and everything we say. Because 70% of the newly diagnosed patients either never smoked at all or quit smoking decades ago. So the numbers are coming down and we need to start congratulating people for stopping smoking. But we need funding for research desperately. Yeah. You know, I remember, Bonnie, when Gina first came on this show, one of her concerns was so much monies for cancer research were being directed towards other forms of cancer and not lung cancer, just as you stated. So, Gina, this has been a concern of yours also. Absolutely. And I'll piggyback off what Bonnie said. But, you know, the the message that needs to get out there is that anyone with lungs can get lung cancer. And what Bonnie said was that this is an injustice. I mean, how can the number one cancer killer, lung cancer, not get public funding? And the reason is because they feel like they found a cause, and that's smoking. And that's what I learned in nursing school, too, that smoking can cause lung cancer, which turned into smoking is the cause of lung cancer. And so therefore, people feel like all we have to do is smoking cessation programs, and then lung cancer won't exist. But that's absolutely wrong. And Bonnie and her organization has showed over and over again that there's research That's showing that that's just not the case. There's so many people who don't smoke, who have no risk factors just like me, no family history, and they're getting lung cancer, and we need to know why, so we need more research. Bonnie, when you first got the diagnosis that you have lung cancer, did you think that was your death certificate that was being filled out and life was over? How did you deal with the, the, the rush of the fear and the next steps after that in your life? Absolutely. Um, Like most people, it's a very overwhelming diagnosis. You know, at first you feel this sense of your life is over. But as you move along, and especially now, because we have so much hope, there have been more new drugs discovered for lung cancer in the last five years than the last five decades. So there's so much progress right now. We actually, in lung cancer, are leading the way in genomic profiling. Lung cancer, we're proving, has mutations like Gina that are driving her cancer. In Gina's case, it's the ALK mutation that's driving her cancer. And in other lung cancer patients, it's the EGFR marker or RET or MET or uh, ROS1. There's so many good things happening out there. In lung cancer, they're going to help every cancer. We need to all pull together and help each other. Gina, you weren't quite 40 when the symptoms started impacting your health. It's crazy. You had to convince your doctors that you had lung cancer? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a common misconception, even with healthcare providers. They don't believe that anyone with lungs can get lung cancer. Even our screening criteria for lung cancer doesn't include anyone with lungs. You know, you have to have, you know, a prior history of smoking a lot of cigarettes to be able to even get screened for lung cancer. So, yes, I was 38 years old and I had to convince doctors. In fact, I couldn't even get a doctor to give me a chest x ray because I had just run a half marathon and I 
was the picture of health. I had absolutely no risk factors. So um, I actually had to self-pay for a chest x-ray to prove that something was wrong with me. And that led to an ER diagnosis and finally a lung cancer diagnosis. Bonnie, your book opens with a quote from Robert Kennedy. If you're passionate about injustice, then do something about it. And that's exactly what you did, Bonnie. Exactly. Exactly. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. And my other favorite is Nelson Mandela when he said, it seems impossible until it's done. And we're not going to stop until it's done. That's it. Well, I want to learn more about this relationship between Bonnie and Gina. How did you guys get connected? (laughs) I love this woman so much. I'll let you start, Bonnie. Well, I just love love Gina, too. Um, I have a special affinity for young lung cancer. Our foundation actually did a clinical trial called the Genomics of Young Lung, and 82% had a genomic driver, like I just talked about. That's around the time I met Gina, and you just cannot not fall in love with her. And I think of her as a daughter, and I'm very protective of her. She'll tell you that. You know, it's like, no, no, don't do that. You know, yes, you should do this. She's amazing. She's beyond amazing. Bonnie is the leader of the number one lung cancer foundation that's out there. She's the matriarch of patient advocacy when it comes to lung cancer. And I am so lucky to know her. I mean, Byron, here I am with stage four cancer. Some call it a terminal illness. I think everybody is terminal, but um, (laughs) um, I I get to talk to Bonnie. (laughs) Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. And she, uh, yeah, she's um, absolutely amazing. I mean, I would definitely call her uh, the matriarch of lung cancer advocacy. And she does. She knows this stuff. She's been doing this for a long time. She's seen the progress happen right before her eyes. And she understands as a patient herself how to help patients. And her heart is bigger than uh, you'll ever know um, for so many patients. And and the love that she says that she has for me, she has for all 22 of these people in this book. She's an incredible person, truly. Well, Bonnie, these 22 people that are highlighted in your book, the men and women, what's the common thread of their stories that have been affected by this deadly disease? I think the common thread amongst these people, and I picked them very purposefully to be in the book because they're all so unique and different. My goal is when someone picks this book up, they're going to find themselves in there someplace, and that's going to make them more hopeful, especially upon newly diagnosed patients. But they're all very unique, and the, the collective thing that they have in common is lung cancer. Well, you know, Bonnie, you've been in this rodeo for a while now. What have you learned most about advocating on behalf of patients and families affected by lung cancer? It's starting to work. It's really starting to work. You know, when you look back and you you watch what happened with breast cancer, people might not remember this, but when breast cancer first came about, women were embarrassed to say they had it because in those days, they didn't talk about their body parts, right? So they were very quiet, very similar to lung cancer patients today. So lung cancer is nothing new. It's one third of all cancer deaths. And if you think about that, I mean, there are hundreds of different cancers out there. And lung cancer is one third of all cancer deaths. We have to fix it. And all of those people in the book want to help fix it as well. And they come from all parts of the world. One is from Australia, Lisa Briggs, who is just like Gina to me. She's absolutely adorable. And these people shouldn't have cancer. My goodness, they have children. They have lives to live. 
they shouldn't have any cancer, let alone lung cancer. Well, it started in a large room with gray walls, gray carpeting, gray drapes, gray folding right. chairs positioned around a gray oblong table beneath the dull lighting in the living room, but became this place of connection. Can you reflect yeah. a little on those early days of the living room? You bet. I mean, it's, it's what inspired me to work even harder. I was asked to speak at a support group at a major academic hospital in the Bay Area. You know, I was flattered that I was asked to speak there. So I walk in there, and it's a gray room, gray walls, gray table, gray chairs, and gray people. And the first thing that struck me when I walked in there was there was no hope in that room. Those people came to that meeting to learn how to die. And I went back to work and I told the team, I said, you guys are going to kill me, but we're starting a support group. And it ended up to be an education group. Patients come the third Tuesday of every month. We invite a key opinion leader to talk about everything lung cancer, whatever the case may be. Then we thought there were people outside waiting to get in and we couldn't get everybody into the room. So we thought, how can we get more of these? And it wasn't financially feasible to get one on every corner in the United States. So we brought in a television station. A friend of mine was sitting there and she goes, well, we'll just bring in the television station and we'll live stream it around the world. I thought, well, okay, you want to be in charge of that? You just said that. You figure this all out. Her name is Danny Gasparini. And so we did it. And every month we reach 143 countries. 143 countries. Correct. (laughs) That's beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Right. Right. And we didn't have to spend another dime to do it because the television station donated a lot of their time. Other people donated food, you know, for the patients. You know, people think that when people get cancer, they automatically get to quit work. Well, that's not the case. You know, more often than not, people have to still work even though they have cancer. So we feed them and it's become we called it the living room because that was a play on the gray walls and the gray chairs and the gray tables. People used to tell me all the time, Bonnie, you need to write a book. You just need to write a book. And it took me two years to come up with an idea for the book that would help change the future of lung cancer. So fingers crossed, that's what my hope is. I love that, Bonnie. And Gina, you also, I'm assuming, participate in these monthly virtual support groups. What are some takeaways for you, and how has it helped you in, in your journey? Yeah, let me tell you how valuable it is. So you're talking about 143 countries. The cool thing is, okay, so here in Memphis, uh, where I live, I made my cookies every Tuesday night, and I tried to have a lung cancer support group. Nobody showed up. So then I opened it up to all cancers and still... <laughs> Nobody showed up. And so I think that the amazing thing about the living room is that you're kind of behind a computer screen. So sometimes for those people who are maybe a little bit shy about their diagnosis or not really willing to share it, it's a comforting place where they can get the education and the information and that they can see that there's other people, you know, just like them. The other cool thing is that because it's in that digital format, it didn't have to stop during this pandemic. So people still got to be able to be supported and loved throughout this. And I think this is a time when so many people, particularly in the lung cancer community, felt very isolated and very alone. And so um, it, it was just an amazing thing to participate in the living room and, and just the fact that the people are putting this on and, and still caring about patients, even though these are some scary times. So these different countries, I'm assuming there's different languages, so not everybody speaks English. Is that correct? You know, I think 
for the most part, but we've done some in Spanish. In fact, we're doing another one uh, in Spanish here very shortly. And we've done one in um, Chinese where we have the key opinion leader that's leading the living room is speaking English. But then we have people there that are translating, you know, at the same time, because it's so important that we can reach people. I'll tell you a little story about this young girl who was watching the living room. She was in Prague. It was about that particular living room was a lecture about getting a second opinion when you feel like, you know, you're not getting the right information from your current physician. So she called our office from Prague and said, I have to talk to Bonnie. So, of course, I got on the phone and she told me her name. She said, I need to get a second opinion for my mom. And I said, "Okay, give me a few minutes. So I called Fred Hirsch, who at the time was the president of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer. I said, Fred, who have we got in Prague? He said, Bonnie, we've got Dr. Rafal. He used to be a fellow of mine. So he gave me his email address. I emailed him and I said, Dr. Rafal, you have no idea who I am, but I need a second opinion for a young girl's mom. And he said, Bonnie, I know who you are. Here's my cell number. Give it to her. I'm happy to help her. Everybody knows who Bonnie is. I just love the way this is orchestrated here. Now, Bonnie, are there some additional ways that your foundation might help support the family dynamics in the middle of lung cancer? Absolutely. Caretakers are as important to us as the patients themselves because very often when the patient is going through treatment that are getting second opinions for their wife or husband or son or daughter or whomever, that's a huge part of what we do. And in my mind, they don't get near enough attention because of the work that they do do. In fact, one of the people in our book, his name is Jim Pantelis. He's a caretaker. He's amazing. He does amazing things for all patients. Very, very important. Very important. Ladies, is there any current research or new meds that either of you are hopeful could make some positive difference that on the horizon right now? Well, there's two kinds of lung cancer out there that have a mutation. One is KRAS and the other one is small cell. So that for the first time ever, there's clinical trials out there that are really close to bringing drugs to market for those two markers, which is really, really good news. Therapy, which is another one that's really good news for lung cancer and others. And thank you to the FDA for approving these drugs much faster than they used to. And I think we're also going to see along the way that cancer is cancer because we're going to be taking drugs from other cancers and putting those into clinical trials that have the same genomic marker as these patients in lung cancer. And we're going to be able to actually take drugs off the shelves that have been put on the shelf because they didn't feel they were useful. So, I mean, there's so many creative things that are happening now. And just bouncing off what Bonnie says, I mean, we have this new technology and science to be able to look at the DNA of cancer, not of the person, but DNA of the cancer, figure out what's driving cancer and learn how to stop it. And lung cancer is leading the way in this. And so that's what Bonnie was talking about, about all these new drugs for certain types of lung cancer. And that's why we're coming up with different kinds of lung cancer. But just like ALK drives my particular lung cancer, it also can drive breast cancer, skin cancer, brain cancers. So the more we're learning about the DNA of cancer, the more we're learning how to stop it. Bonnie, you declared yourself cancer-free in 2006. Yes, I still get a CT scan. Now I get them annually, but before I got them every three months and then six months and then annually. I still get it annually. I plan on doing that for the rest of my life. 
although I only have one lung, I only have one vocal cord, I have a lot of gifts that cancer gave me that I'm still dealing with and will forever, but I feel cancer-free, absolutely. It's good for patients to see people that make it that far because they're more hopeful that they can too. Bonnie, what do you and John Land, your co-author, want readers to take away most from this book? Oh, you know, hope. There's hope on the horizon. You know, it used to be 17 years ago when I was diagnosed, nothing was happening. There were just a couple drugs and you took them and then you just died. The only people that were living were people that, for some reason, caught their lung cancer early. More often than not, they got in a car accident and they ended up in the ER to see if they had any internal bleeding. Good news, bad news. Good news, no internal bleeding. Bad news, we found a mass in your lung. Those are the people that survived. But hope, hope is not only on the way. Hope is happening as we speak. Where can we find copies of this book? Well, you can find them on Amazon. It's the living room. And if you get on Amazon and just type in the living room, it'll pop right up. In fact, it's really up for some kind of recognition because it's exploding out there. People are ordering it like crazy. And in true Bonnie fashion, (laughs) all the proceeds go to lung cancer research because she knows that we lack so much funding when it comes to research. So that's one of the exciting things too. Gina, if someone would like to talk to you about your journey with lung cancer, is there a way they can contact you? Absolutely. Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. So search Gina Hollenbeck. And I think all my handles are at Gina Hollenbeck. I would love to talk to anybody about lung cancer. That's one of the true gifts that I think has been given to me in lung cancer is that I get to meet some incredible people. And I love helping people. There's two kinds of people in the world. They're the ones that see that everything is a miracle and those that see that nothing is a miracle and they can kind of explain everything. And I think I was the latter before cancer. And now I believe everything is a miracle. And I think when you pick up this book, you're going to see miracles happen every day. And my hope is that the people who do pick up this book, whether they're lung cancer survivors or not, will start being the type of people who see that everything is a miracle. Bonnie, is there a way to connect with you, reach out to you? Yes, you know, Bonnie Adario, just that's it. It'll pop up all over the place. No problem. (laughs) Well, the book is The Living Room, A Lung Cancer Community of Courage by Bonnie J. Adario with John Land. Our guest today, Bonnie and Gina Hollenbeck on the show. Ladies, God bless you. Thank you so much for sharing so openly and transparently about your journey with lung cancer and offer some hope to somebody listening. And I do encourage you, friend, to get a copy of this book. Go to Amazon.com. Check it out. Bonnie, we appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks for taking time with us. Well, thank you for having me. You know, every time something like this happens, it helps somebody. It really does. Just by doing this show today, somebody will ask their doctor, why am I coughing like this? I need a CT scan. I might have lung cancer. That could be the person that catches it early. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.